Hello, my little peanuts, and welcome to the Honey Roasted Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Rohan. So, we've been going on dates to bookstores, reading the blurbs of romance novels that we find, and usually laughing at them. When we want to share that laughter with others, we focus mainly on the kinds of novels that you might overlook, or you know, the ones that your great aunt might have picked up in a grocery store a decade ago. You might think most of them are pretty bad, and some of them are, but they can also be surprisingly hilarious and even good. And when they are bad, they're all bad in different ways. We'll be giving you a brief recap of what we've read, and then taking on a journey through the good, the bad, and the oof. Today, we'll be taking a look at a novella called Christmas Cowboy. It was written by Diana Palmer in 1997 for her Long Tall Texan series. We'll start out with the the introduction slash blurb from the back of the book, which uh, which is what we originally read and laughed at. <clears throat> Corrigan Hart wasn't the Marion kind, but he wanted Dory Wayne all the same. The iron-hearted rancher would never admit how much the enticing yet innocent Dory meant to him, until she left small-town Texas for the big city. When a fateful Christmas encounter brings him face-to-face with his long-lost love, will these star-crossed lovers find happiness under the mistletoe? I don't know, Diana. Will it? Fucking will they? Will they? You're the one writing, Diana. You know. <laughs> I, went, I went Texan for that because I'm actually from Texas. All right, and now I will give you a more in-depth summary now that we have read it. Uh, it's the story of... Dorothy Dory Wayne, who left her small town of Jacobsville, Texas, to become a model in New York City just after she turned 18. She was in love with a wealthy rancher named Corrigan Hart, who Rohan insists on referring to as Corey. Because Corrigan is not a first name, Diana. He, he shamed her for being a tease when she decided she didn't want to go all the way, and she skipped town literally the next day. After eight years in New York City, she comes back to her small hometown to bury her recently deceased father, and after meeting up with a cameo from one of Diana's other books, she runs into her ex. Apparently, he's been hung up on her too, and still doesn't know how to take no for an answer. He tells her that she should consider staying in town and doing the bookkeeping for a few local businesses, and assures her he'll stay away. A week later, he shows up at her door, which last time I checked does not count as staying away. Like an idiot, Dory invites him in for coffee. He asks her to do the bookkeeping for his ranch, and it turns into a heart-to-heart. Corey told Dory that he lashed out at her for not pulling, putting out because he saw her washing her dog in the front yard once, and it made him think she was a loose woman. She's agreed to be the bookkeeper for his ranch, and later she meets three out of four of his weird brothers. Callahan, or CAG for short, is the oldest. Leopold is the second youngest, as well as the sweetest best boy. Reynard, Ray, is the youngest. He's quiet, but has a nasty temper. They're much more interested in her cooking skills than her bookkeeping abilities, and they tell her they'll send a car for her in the morning. The next day, she arrives for work, but the moment Corrigan is alone in a room with her, he starts unsnapping his snap button shirt, even though he said they'd be just friends just two days ago. There's an incredibly underwhelming sex scene, which is mainly just some heavy petting over clothes, during which I think he nuts in his jeans after a moment of dory rubbing, and he's able to get her off just fellating her nipples. Uh, Dory then reveals that she didn't go through with things eight years ago because she was afraid it would hurt. That's abstinence-only education for you. Corey spends a sob story about how his mom never loved him, and then tells us about how his father basically kept his mother a financial and sexual prisoner, and yet he still somehow finds a way to blame her for that. Dory does some bookkeeping, makes biscuits for the brothers, and reveals that she was almost raped in New York City. He expresses sympathy for the first time in the book, and then immediately pivots the conversation back to his own issues, revealing that he's been having dirty dreams about her every night for the last eight years and that he drove her away because he wanted to get her pregnant. They part ways, making plans to see a movie together the following evening. The next morning, Dory goes to do the bookkeeping for a local designer. On arrival, she sees a sophisticated woman talking to Clarice, who loudly says how Corey had promised to take her to some big party, and how he was just buttering up his old flame to do some bookkeeping. 
understandably pissed at getting played by Corrigan again, she mopes near some Christmas carolers. The only time any Christmassy stuff happens in the whole book. And then she skips town again. The sophisticated woman is Tira Beck, a rich divorcee who is in love with one of Corey's brothers. They are just friends, despite what the book's been implying the entire time. And he was lying to her because pride? Some bullshit like that. So Corey runs home to his brothers to give them the bad news that their biscuit maker has left. They are understandably inconsolable, as any good southern boys would be, and very reasonably call the Texas Rangers to bring her back. So Texas Ranger shows up to her motel in Victoria, Texas, and arrests her for cattle rustling, and says that the Hearts claim she must have their million-dollar prize bull hidden somewhere in her motel room. She is, of course, totally calm and okay with this development. What, really? No, not really. Uh, She is rightfully, royally pissed off, at her wrongful arrest. And she's dragged back to the ranch, where one of the brothers just goes, oh, we found the bull behind the barn. False alarm. Sorry. (laughs) She then demands to be taken home, and we cut to a few days or weeks later, when Corey's in his house drinking alone in the dark like a sad emo boy. They have plans to go to a Christmas Eve party, and Leo, the best boy of the three, is very excited to see the model train display. But they decide that Corey needs a little Christmas cheer, and Cag suggests a biscuit maker would snap him out of his sour mood. So, when they get back, they tell Corey they're going to let him open his Christmas present early and lock him in the living room, which is when we find out that they kidnapped Dory again, stuffed her in a burlap sack, and tied her up with a red bow in the living room. When he unties the red ribbon, she pops out, shouting that she is going to kill them. And while she's fuming, Corey decides to silence her with his lips. He tells her that he loves her, and as they're getting handsy, the brothers pop in to say, Oh, by the way, you're getting married next Saturday. We made all the arrangements, and the governor's walking you down the aisle. Okay, have fun, bye. I must emphasize, the governor of Texas (laughs) is going to give her away in place of her father, who, need I remind you, died very recently. So they get married, and the governor gives her away, and the vice president of the United States is also there for reasons. It's the event of the year, and it's over in half a page. And then there's three and a half pages of deeply unfulfilling sex. For us, Dory nuts like a ton, and Corey apparently has the stamina of a tractor, despite it only taking a couple light touches to make him nut earlier. And then they get home from their honeymoon, and the brothers, who continue to be the best part of the book, pull a Looney Tunes prank on them. And I assume they live happily ever after, with Dory being their biscuit slave. So. So So now we're going to go through the things that we found in the book that were pretty good. Yeah, things that we enjoyed. uh, Surprisingly. Surprisingly. The brothers, for one. uh, They're introduction the second scene that they're in both of them have pretty funny dialogue even the scene foreshadowing their arrival the second scene is decently funny uh the the first time we meet them they they get into a three stooges routine where callahan says oh it's fine that she has a scar as long as she can cook and then leo stomps on his foot and says don't insult her she won't come and cag's like i didn't and then Ray just elbows them aside, like, I'm sorry about my idiot brothers. Can you please not hate us? <laughs> Very cute. And then, I forgot his name, Corrigan. <laughs> Corrigan is talking to Dory, and he tells her, we, they've decided that we should marry you. <laughs> and Dory is understandably confused. All of you? He's <laughs> like, well... We don't share women, but we do share cooks, which, you know, <laughs> yikes, but... Also just kind of surreally funny. That the, the brothers have, have decided this. Yeah, and Leo especially. Just Leo. He's nice. He's considerate. He likes trains, which automatically makes him an A-plus human being. Yeah, he was so excited about the model trains at the Christmas Eve party 
It was adorable, but we never figure out if he got to see them. Did he get to see the trains, Diana? It keeps me up at night. Right to us. And, you know, he's also one of the few people that realizes that it's not a good thing for women to be afraid of you. Like, it seems obvious, but a lot of people in this book just don't seem to get it. Yeah, they just, like, accept, oh, you know, Dory's afraid of Cory. And, and, ugh, God. He's also one of the only people to call Corrigan out on his shit when he's being a pride-blind idiot. Uh, like... When he says, uh, oh, did we forget to tell her that he loved her? Oh, good lord, we did. No wonder she left. You could have told her yourself if you hadn't been chewing on your hurt pride. And speaking of pride, why didn't you tell Tira the truth instead of hedging your bets with a bunch of lies? He's, he is a good boy who knows how to say it like it is. It just, just A++. Plus plus. Um, and... I mean, the brothers overall are great. Like, all the way to the end, they 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 booby-trap the door to the ranch house with, like, the, the old water bucket on the door trick. <laughs> yeah, like, what a thing to come home to from your honeymoon. <laughs> um, and it's not the first time that they've pranked him. Um, when they tell Cory that they have his Christmas gift and he can open it early, mm-hmm. he... He says, is it another rattler? Which which implies that they have already attempted to gift him a rattlesnake before. Which I just love. They are Scooby-Doo characters. Yeah, like in in a nutshell, just Scooby-Doo characters. Especially (laughs) like the way that they chase biscuits. Fresh biscuits the way Scooby (laughs) would a Scooby snack. Somehow it becomes the... The primary driving force of the entire plot. How much these brothers want fresh biscuits. Yeah, to the point that they'll call the Texas Rangers when she goes missing. And also kidnap her themselves. Again, little yikes, (laughs) but also just so funny. Mm. Um, Corrigan does make a joke um, that she needs to leave before... Before my brothers get back and tie you to the stove. <laughs> Again, <laughs> hilarious. Kind of yikes. Um, Let's see. Uh, the way uh, the way that Corey asks her if she's seen porn, he goes, Don't you watch hot movies? I've never heard them called hot movies before. Like, this book came out in 1997. I was like three when it came out. But I don't think anyone would have ever called them hot movies before. And Amanda, hmm. do you know who was governor of Texas in 1997? I when this book came out, I, I believe I do. Rohan, was it was it George W. Bush? It was George W. Bush. George W. Bush gives Dory away at her wedding, and you know who the vice president was at the time. It was Al Gore. <laughs> Three years before they went head to head in one of the most disputed elections until now, George Bush and Al Gore went to a wedding together. How bizarre that <laughs> that the governor of Texas gave away this random woman for her wedding. Like yeah, he's just on call. He doesn't have other shit to do. <laughs> it's just really weird. <laughs> Which means logically speaking, that we can directly blame this wedding somehow for the results of the 2000 election. Yep, sounds like (laughs) sound logic to me. One last good point. There was a part in the book that was super cute. Um, Corrigan has never been the marrying kind, but he he said he, he changed his mind when Mrs. Culbertson came with her husband and they were cute and they went for walks and they held hands and she looked at him and it was clear that she was in love and that's when he started believing in it. And then Dory tells him that, that her parents were in love like that and that the last thing her father said was her mother's name. And it's just... It's just adorable. You you are a sucker for cute shit like that. I, I am. Old people in love is, is just my weakness. 
So that, unfortunately, brings us to the end of the good stuff. It was a very short-lived... But you know what? We found more good stuff in this book than I was expecting. Like, I went into this expecting no no redeeming qualities, but Leo. Leo really came through. Yeah, I expected maybe a laugh or two, probably in irony at some bad writing, but there were... There were some surprisingly entertaining and well-written comedic sections. And again, just George W. Bush. So To, to be fair, though, some of those good points were just <laughs> bad writing that we found hilarious. <laughs> which kind of transitions us into uh, our first of the bad section. Bad writing. Which we didn't find hilarious. Um, I think the first thing we need to address is this is supposed to be a Christmas book, but there are a total of three places in the book where that's somewhat relevant, and even then, it's not necessary for the plot. Like, she doesn't come home for Christmas, it just happens to be Christmas when she comes back for her father's funeral. It really feels like it's just a book that she has repackaged to hit the uh christmas romance sector yeah like i i didn't grow up with christmas as a thing at all and this barely feels christmasy to me like you could forget for most of the book that this takes place around christmas and you would lose nothing yeah zero out of ten for christmas factors so disappointed there there's also the the constant cameos from her other books yeah, it really comes across as, like, use car salesman bullshittery. I I regret paying $1.50 for this book. I'm not going to buy her other books. Except it, maybe Leo's. Maybe Leo's. <laughs> but if, if she wanted us to buy her books... You know, write good books? Yeah, Jesus. And, and, and on the topic of used car salesmen, the... The book, just midway through, drags us down this bizarre plot cul-de-sac for a few pages, where the brothers spend, you know, a few paragraphs telling Dory that the guy she bought her car from is a pirate and she'll be lucky if the wheels fall off. And then two pages later, they just resolve it by talking to him. With their fists. And it contributes pretty much nothing besides romanticizing some violence and padding out the page count. Also, the the used car salesman is named Turkey Sanders? What the fuck is that name? Yeah, romance novel names are famously terrible, but that kind of takes the cake. At least it's not a protagonist. Yeah, though the protagonists don't have very good names either. Like, Dory is fine. It, it doesn't it doesn't really strike me as a very romantic name, but that might be because of Finding Nemo. Mm. Like, I'm just constantly picturing her as a blue tank. <laughs> uh, also, all the hearts besides the eldest brother, Simon, have just kind of strange names like Corrigan, which is a surname, not a given name, Reynard, which... Just sounds weird and Leopold, which just sounds too fancy for him. Yeah. Like he's 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 like a guy that you would call honest John. Yeah, he He strikes me as more of a Scot, though. <laughs> that that might be colored by some past experiences. <laughs> Callahan is fine. It's the nickname for Callahan. Yeah. Like, Cag is an awful nickname. You, you really have I to shut that shit down. You really have to stretch to make Cag a name for Callahan. Why wouldn't you just go with the much easier to say Cal? Yeah, it would make much more sense. Like, it's a nice word that slopes down and rolls right off the tongue instead of having to end in that sharp G because, I don't know, English speakers just don't like ending their words with G very much. And I do want to mention heart. As the name for a romance protagonist. Oh yeah, awful. awful. Terrible. It's way too on the nose. Really on the nose. And speaking of other awful things. The pacing. The pacing is so bad. It's in terrible. 
Half the events take place in a single chapter, including the climax of the conflict, two kidnappings, a wedding, and a three-page sex scene. Yeah, like most of the plot in this book takes place in the very last chapter, and it goes from like a slow crawl to just everything happens at once, and then boom, sex scene, which yeah, also I... gets more page time than anything else in that chapter, and it's not even good. Yeah, it's a poor choice, just <laughs> all all the way around. And the very first day she's there takes one-sixth of the book, and that doesn't include the, the flashbacks to eight years ago with, like, plot set up. That's just her meeting up with a cameo from another book and having hot chocolate. Like, it's it's bad. It's really bad. In addition to bad pacing, the entire sense of time is wonky. Yeah, it's... We don't really get a sense of how much time passes between events or chapters, and we didn't even know that the leads were, like, ten years apart in age until halfway through the book. We didn't know he was 36 and she was 26 until that point in the book. And the part of the book that really kind of highlights the wonky sense of time was between the kidnappings. Like, I was under the assumption that it was just a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Rohan thought it was, what, like a couple weeks? Yeah, I, I got the sense that it was a few weeks, not a few days. And so we went back to look at it. We're both wrong. It doesn't specify. It just transitions into him drinking whiskey alone in his office. Yeah, it just goes from, and then she left the first kidnapping to, now let's start the second kidnapping. Yeah, so we, we have no idea. And there are several scenes in the book like that. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's hard to get a grip on what's happening. Yeah, and speaking of getting a grip on what's happening, the romance in this is not good. They don't know anything about one another. I mean, they only dated for a few weeks, eight years ago, and it's it's not a good foundation for a relationship. That's, they, that's not a foundation for a relationship. That's the foundation for an old time's sake pity fuck that you never think about again. And she would have been better off if she had gone that route. <laughs> uh, and... Diana contradicts herself in every single chapter. First, there are no rumors about the brothers. They they have no hearts. They cannot be tempted by women. And then there's hot gossip about Corrigan and a divorced woman. And also with Dory, it, it's... Yeah, like she's terrified of him and then also sees him as a protector. It, it's all over the place and it actually makes it really hard to keep up with in the story. Not to mention infuriating. Like, yeah. I, I expect that if you write a book, that somebody is editing it for consistency. And it, it seems like the editor just, like, put a big check mark on the cover and, and sent it off without reading it. I'm pretty sure the editor for this book was just an intern in the basement of Silhouette Print who was handed like 40 manuscripts a day and had to edit each one of them and probably thought they were going to do more with their life than this. Oof. Big oofs. Speaking of oof. Yeah, the the writing overall in this book is not great. The, the purple prose is especially egregious. Uh, looking at some more contradictions, uh, Corey's... Corey's eyes are described early on as being pale and metallic, which, first of all, not how human eyes work. Human eyes do not reflect light in that way. Uh, and later on, she calls his eyes dark. Which is it, Diana? Does he have pale metallic eyes or dark eyes? Uh, she seems to have a problem with eyes overall. Like, she, when Dory first meets Callahan, or Cag... Yeah. She describes his eyes as like a cobra's. Has she seen a cobra? Or eyes? Cobra's eyes are like black voids. They, yeah, just little beady black eyes. Yeah, they, they don't even have sclera, really. Uh, the whites of the eyes. 
just yeah if if your man has eyes like a cobra believe that's not a man yeah that is a terminator who has been sent from the future to fuck you uh let's see what else uh right before the the first bad sex scene uh Corey says that he had when they were first dating he'd been trying to bring her into the age of enlightenment by which he means you know fuck her does does Corey think that his dick has achieved nirvana and become the buddha I mean, he does have an ego the size of Texas, so he might make the jump between taking her virginity and enlightening her. Ugh. Either way, yikes as hell. Yeah. Uh, also, during that sex scene, right after that bit, uh, I hesitate to say this because of just how terrible it's written. Do it. Do it. Uh Diana describes Corey's mouth as a warm, moist recess <sighs> while he's sucking on Dory's titty. And Did she think that was sexy? Uh, I'm not sure she knows what sex is. It's just gross. Uh, human language has a lot of ways to describe mouths. That is possibly the worst way to do it. Yeah, zero out of ten. And Would not warm, moist <laughs> recess again. <laughs> And at the bottom of that very same page, Dory talks about her hips moving involuntarily, which is just some bad doujin level writing. I know I'm outing myself as a weeb, but... Gotta get it out of the way early. Yeah, you you all need to know what you're getting into. I, This is what I am. You, know, you have been warned. Uh, it, it's just some bad hentai writing. And speaking of bad hentai writing... Yeah, we questioned... If Diana had ever had sex before several times, just by some of the ways she described things, like Dory got real hot and bothered when Corrigan was like gently massaging her underboob. Which and which you have informed me is not how underboob works. Like there is like if you're making out and there's some groping going on. That can be pretty hot. Uh -huh. But the way it was described, it was like a gentle massage, mm -hmm. which can feel good when you take your bra off, but not really a thing. Also, just the the hilarity of Corrigan Hart, Texas manly man, nutting after a single paragraph of some over-the-clothes rubbing. In his jeans. <laughs> Now, there was a bit of confusion here. It's not overtly worded as, like, he ejaculates and, like, like there's a wet spot. There's none of that. It's just, like, he goes, Dory, and then starts shuddering and, like, holding on to her for, for support. Yeah, which sounds like nutting to me. And out, she, of, out of, like, the ten people we put it to, nine of them agreed he nutted. And then the other one who wasn't, like on it it was just like a well it could be uh -huh. nobody overtly said no there's no way he did that yeah so that is a 10 out of 12 did not <laughs> i i want to give him the benefit of the doubt but at the same time I, I I'm, I'm not certain diana knows how sex works yeah i don't have it in me to give diana the benefit of the doubt <laughs> and then dory came after just a few moments of getting her nipples sucked. And, like, it can happen. Yeah. I, like, nipple play is a thing. Corrigan Hart, a man with an eight-year-long dry spell, and... <sighs> no foreplay is that good. Yeah, I Corrigan Hart's not the man to, to, to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't place my bets on him. Yeah. Also... Like, right after they both get done coming, he's like, well, I could do that to you by kissing your belly or your thighs. And yeah, nipple play? Plausible. Belly or thigh play? And... Like, maybe there's a person out there for whom that does it to them, but uh, no, Corey, I don't think that you could. Yeah, again, not not putting my bets down on Corrigan. Mm -hmm. Overall, he just seems super confident in the magic powers of his own dick. Yeah, a, a little confidence is fine, but 
you know, waving it around like that is, is liable to get you laughed at when it's time for the horizontal mamba pose. Ugh. <laughs> Pro on. I hate that <laughs> So that's it for the the first makeout session sex scene. Mm-hmm. Then we get to the honeymoon, that that three-page disaster at the end of the book. The Dory comes pretty much instantly. No, no dick is that good. And considering that this is the first guy Dory has fucked, I don't think she's an authority on how good he is at sex. Mm-hmm. And considering how fast Cory nutted the first time, I don't think there's any way he has the, the stamina to go for hours and hours like he did in the end sex scene. Yeah. And, like, they they fall off the bed, they roll around, they go again and again. She says she almost died half a dozen times. Which is just a weird way to phrase it. Like, I know know the French for it is la petite mort, which is the little death, but it doesn't work in English. Yeah, I mean, even in French, that's a little sus. If if the yeah. orgasm feels like you're dying, you might be doing it wrong. Yeah, they're poetic people. Mm. And, God, just... He, he says, you know, when he nuts, he's been saving it all up for eight years, which is some SAO chapter 16.5 level writing, which is not a reference that I'm going to clarify. If you understand, you know what I'm talking about. And the whole saving it up for eight years thing doesn't <laughs> really make sense to me. Since mm. he said he's been having dirty dreams about her every night since she left. Mm-hmm. First of all, yikes. But <laughs> also, d- dirty dreams, doesn't that usually end with something? Sometimes, yeah. Is, isn't that a thing? Yeah, yeah, it can happen. So I, I'd assume for, for eight years of that, after a few weeks, you would, you'd buy plastic sheets or something <laughs> to protect your mattress. Like, it doesn't sound like he's been saving it up for eight years. It seems like he's been getting his release pretty regularly. Corrigan Hart, Texas manly man. Fastest shot in the West. Plastic oh sheet sleeper. Not again, not a good thing to, to come home from your honeymoon for. <laughs> Alright, so that's it for the bad. Now we're getting into the oof. Um, we're going to start off with some generally toxic themes. Yeah, starting off with some light toxic masculinity. Uh, Corey talks about how he hasn't been a man since the last time they were together. Uh, sex is not what makes you a man. Yeah, it's just kind of a morally neutral thing. You can do it if you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine too. It's it's just a, a fun thing for some people. Don't don't tie it to gender. Yeah, and it kind of just represents a viewpoint, you know, of of a time when people didn't really think about other ways of sexuality. Yeah, that's just kind of this book in a nutshell like it's got a very stark idea of what makes a man and what makes a woman it is very het very and also terrifyingly pro-grooming yeah like the the very first character that we meet out besides dory is her friend abby who is the protagonist of the first long tall texans book and who literally married the man who was her guardian. And she's proud of it. <sighs> like, I I did the math. She, in her book, she starts out at 21, and it's been eight years since Dory's been gone. So she cannot be older than 29. And she already has three kids and gray hair. Yeah, and 29 was the most generous estimate we could give. Like, if she got married immediately after pursuing the man who is her guardian. Who, you know, kind of took her in after her parents died. Yeah, just biggest oof. And that's not even the only example of pro-grooming. Like, Corrigan is 10 years older than Dory, and he started trying to sleep with her... When she was 18. And he was 28. Like, I know that a lot of 18-year-olds consider themselves very mature, and some of them are, but 
generally speaking, if someone is 28 and pursuing an 18-year-old, they're... There's something else at play there. Like, there's a lot of experiences that you're new to when you're 18. It's a whole new world that's opening up to you. And somebody who's older, who's been through that, might take advantage of that naivete. And another thing is that when you're 18 and, you know, just starting to learn all these things, a lot of the times you can't recognize red flags. They just look like flags to you. Yeah, like... I was in a very similar situation. I was 18. I was dating a 28-year-old. And I'm I'm very lucky that somebody was able to help me see the red flags that I wasn't able to. Because that, that could have been a much worse situation. And Dory's lucky that she got out when she did. Because she just made the mistake of coming back 10 years <laughs> later. Just to get this out of the way now, you know, sexual assault is not a light matter, but this book doesn't use it honestly. It is blatantly a narrative device. Yeah, it's it's used to keep Dory isolated so that she would want to come back to her hometown and be with this ex who was really toxic and kind of abusive. Yeah, it's it's used it, so she doesn't have any ties to New York. And, and it, also it's an attempted rape, not an actual rape, because she has to maintain her purity for our, our protagonist. Yeah, so that she can give it to the male lead, as is his patriarchal right. Yeah, she has to stay innocent for him, and it's just really blatantly manipulative. Yeah, and... You know. It doesn't even really do justice to the kind of mental trauma that would put you through. It just kind of glazes over it. Yeah. Uh, another manipulative trick the book pulls. Uh, it kind of tries to obliquely blame Dory for Corrigan's injury. Uh, we didn't really talk about it much in the summary, but... The week after he left... He went on a hunting trip to Montana with some friends, and his friend was driving a utility vehicle. And they were both drinking. And somehow it tries to blame Dory and make her feel guilt for the friend who was driving drinking when she doesn't even know this person. Like, there's not a name given, it's just the friend who died. Yeah. And he didn't have to drink. Yeah, like, okay, fine. Corey's, Corey's drinking because he's sad Dory left. Oh, woe is him. This friend didn't also have to drown Corey's sorrows for him. Just, uh, the, the book overall goes to great lengths to talk about how much Corey feels bad that he keeps hurting Dory. And it only ever brings up his limp when it's trying to drum up sympathy for him and his man pain. It's Yeah, and it also uses it like an ableist thing. Like it he says that the limp puts women off. He can't get a date with anybody else because they don't like the limp. And it's such a minor thing. Like it's it's very ableist to think that a man who was otherwise healthy and attractive can't get a woman. Yeah, it's it's, it's how casual it is that makes it so egregious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, another point on the, the ableism scale here, uh, which also kind of feeds into the culture of male violence this book perpetrates, uh, it talks about when when the brothers go to, to fix the issue with Dory's car, that, that old cul-de-sac, uh, they, they rough up the car salesman, and Leo punches first, because otherwise Callahan, an ex-Marine, would apparently do worse to him. Yeah, and it kind of... We've noticed this a couple of times, that veterans are sometimes portrayed as, like, these unhinged, violent maniacs. Like, that, that might be a bad word for it, but I, I've seen this trope of military men being shown with these mental illnesses that make them violent. Mm-hmm. And my, my grandfather was in the Navy. He's not a violent man. He's 
Yeah, no, he's he's super chill and and gentle. Like he he was the first person who held me when oh. when I in the hospital when when I was born. <laughs> he's so gentle. I I couldn't imagine him being violent to anyone. Yeah, and this book makes it out like you know, oh, he's a marine, so that makes it okay for him to exercise violence on people. Honestly, just it's it's a stereotype and also ableist mm-hmm. and not not authentic to the the kinds of mental health issues that people who have served actually go through Mm -hmm. and you know for an example that doesn't have that attached for the the male violence here you know corrigan punches an employee for making a comment about dory and then cuts his pay yeah that's just one of the many red flags with corrigan he's an abusive asshole and just a Soviet parade of red flags. Yeah, like, like the yeah. very first time we see him, it's after he's punched this employee mm-hmm. for saying something he didn't like. Yeah, and you know we learn almost right away that he apparently became a holy terror. That is after a quote Dory from left. The book. That is an exact quote, and no one would go near him. Well, so his girlfriend left and he just terrorized this town. Yeah, and it's not only the town who's terrorized by him. Dory's constantly described as being terrified of him, even by himself. Yeah, and at no point in this book is it addressed. It's just left hanging there that she is terrified of this man and she marries him. And it just suddenly goes away at some point. Like, we shouldn't have to tell this to anyone listening, but... You should Lady- not be afraid of your partner. Yeah, ladies, gentlemen, envies, if if you are afraid of your partner, get out fast now. Yeah, there, there's no reason for that. Mm-mm. And even worse, this guy is a self-avowed misogynist and generally has a dim view of women that Diana Palmer seems to share. Uh, the, one, of, one of the worst examples is they're, they're talking about marriage and he says... Ooh, let, me, let me do it. Yeah, yeah, do it in your Texan voice. Alrighty. <clears throat> Marriage is old-fashioned anyway. I have a dog, a good horse, and a house full of modern appliances. I even have a housekeeper who can cook. A wife would be redundant. Like, is that what you think a wife is, man? She, she does the dishes and cooks and I can ride her. It's just... What is Corey doing to that horse? I don't want to know. <laughs> he just has a lack of basic respect for anyone or anything. For Dorothy especially. Yeah, the the verbal abuse mm-hmm. is terrible. He constantly mocks her to the point that the narration notes when his smile lacks mockery. Yeah, and he uses literal incel rhetoric about girls not being virgins after 18. As someone who has studied incels, why? Because I hate myself. Ugh. As someone who's studied incels, I've, I I can kind of recognize all the the trade the trademarks here. You know, he thinks you know girls aren't virgins after eighteen. Uh, she's a tease for not putting her out. He berates her verbally for waiting for marriage and shames her so bad that she leaves town the next day. I I have never been shamed that bad. <laughs> He also lies. He's a habitual liar. He said he would stay away, shows up at our door within the week. Mm-hmm. Says they'd be just friends. No, don't worry, just friends. And then as soon as they have a moment alone together, he is unsnapping his snap button shirt. <laughs> Corrigan Hart, manly man, wears snap button shirts. <laughs> He he also lies and downplays his brothers being serious about arranging the wedding. Mm-hmm. And then lies to Tira about wanting to be with Dory and just using her for bookkeeping. Yeah, which, you know, is something you grow out of by middle school, right? I mean, there are plenty of adults who are habitual liars, but mm. this this is ridiculous. Yeah. He, he almost breadcrumbs her into, like, calming down just enough so that he can push the next step forward. Yeah, it bleeds into gaslighting in a couple of occasions. And, uh, you know, at no point in this book does he ever apologize for the things he does. I think we've, we, we searched this book for moments when he says sorry. 
The only times he says sorry are for, you know, her dad being dead, which is just basic. Yeah, it's just sorry in the the general sense of... Sorry for your loss. Yeah, of sympathy. And then he apologizes on behalf of Tira for something that was his mistake. Yeah, he, he blamed, never should have blamed her. For he that. blames Tira for his own lies. And, you know, multiple times in this book, he laughs at Dory for getting upset or angry. And, you know, generally speaking, does not respect her feelings in the slightest. Yeah, he, she even laughs at her about still being afraid of him uh-huh. as if that's something to take joy in. Uh huh. He intentionally riles her up over being a virgin, which we've already said is not something to be ashamed of. Yeah, don't don't mock somebody <laughs> for being a virgin. That's a personal choice and something that he has no right to. And when she's been kidnapped twice in a row, he laughs at her again. <laughs> it just just disgusting. And also he doesn't like sweets. Neither of them do. They're both monsters. Uh, don't don't trust anybody who doesn't like sweets. Mm-mm, they're murderers. And also, he just completely disregards her consent at multiple points of this book. Yeah, he pressures her into doing things before she's ready to answer. Does not take no for an answer. Yeah, pushes her to start working in Jacobsville. Uh, she yeah. she comes up with a lot of excuses, like, ah, I have a place in New York, I've got a job there. And he just says, well, quit. Move here. Mm-hmm. Well, she won't like me. Yeah, she will. Yeah, just does not bother to... Dory, you don't need a reason to say no to this asshole. Yeah, no first. is a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, doesn't bother to obtain consent in that first sex scene and just, you know jumps her bones and keeps pushing even after she says like you know we should stop and physically tries to push him off her yeah it just really eked me out but the entire sex scene it just there wasn't a part of it that felt sexy the whole time it was just him pushing yeah the book calls him persistent numerous times when it's all it's doing is just normalizing rape culture yeah, and part of that rape culture that's pervasive throughout all of it is he, he just assumed that he was she was displaying her body for his benefit when she was 18 years old and washing her dog mm-hmm. in the front yard in cutoffs and a t-shirt. Which is just, you know, standard things 18-year-olds wear and, you know generally shitty behavior and telling her what to do with her body. Like, yeah, he, he came up and said, get in the house! Yeah, uh-huh. just because some other dude was leering on her, not him, totally. Yeah, and the, the whole thing was displaying her body for his benefit. Gross sentence. Mm-hmm. I, I feel gross just saying it. Yeah. But, like, he also assumed that she was not a virgin because she was wearing cutoffs. Mm-hmm. As if it's any of his fucking business. Yeah, and then when he's riling her up about, you know, still being a virgin, he has the arrogance to assume she was saving her virginity for him. Which, you know, not that purity culture isn't already deeply disgusting, but that just takes it to a whole nother level. Again, the the arrogance. Uh Uh-huh. The audacity. (laughs) And... He he literally attempted to stalk her. Yeah, and to make it worse, you know, this is a wealthy 28-year-old man who is trying to track down a scared, vulnerable teenager who ran away from him specifically. An 18-year-old he wanted to impregnate. <clears throat> it just... This is the psycho stalker ex that she was lucky to get away from. And she comes back, and, you know, later in the book, the the whole terrifying scenario of this wealthy person exploiting their power to, you know, abusing it, happens when his brothers call in the Texas goddamn rangers and have her falsely arrested and dragged back to their ranch. Yeah, talk about a lack of accountability and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this is fictional, but... The fact that this is even plausible just 
it shows a lot. Uh-huh. A lot that I am not qualified to talk about. <laughs> and he wanted to impregnate her. He wanted to bring her back. It kind of reminds me of his shitty upbringing. Like the way his father held his mother as like a... a sexual prisoner yeah like kept her knocked up and financially dependent so she couldn't leave Mm -hmm. kept his hands on the checkbook and you know the lesson that he takes away from his abused mother running away from his abused father is modern women don't want babies and you know he he goes on and on about how oh how sad his dad was when his mother left you know the woman who was being abused by him no sympathy for his mother. And this is really just a, a window into the misogyny that's throughout the entire book. Yeah, like, you know, as we were just saying, Corey's mom was financially and sexually abused by a shitty father. Yet, somehow, the father is painted as sympathetic, and it's women who are cold and abusive. And somehow it's her fault that he grew up to be a misogynist? Like, the narrative paints him as being wrong about modern women, but for the wrong reasons. Like, he's wrong about marriage being bad, not about the women and their roles within a relationship. Mm-hmm. Dory even feels cold hearing that Cory's mom didn't like to sew. Yeah, the book just reveals very starkly how little respect... Diana Palmer has for the women she writes, uh, possibly just for women in general. Like, it it shames modern women, quote-unquote, for not having feminine interests. Yeah, like, their, their whole definition of a modern woman is one who doesn't want babies, makes her own decisions, and enjoys casual sex. Which sounds a lot like the conservative false idea of what feminism is, also, kind of makes me think of, like, how someone might describe a young man. Yeah. So a woman acting in the way a young man might is is painted as this horrible thing. I mean, that's literally how Diana Palmer describes, like, you know, oh, these wayward young men earlier on in the book before they, you know, settled down and got married, like... It's apparently okay when men do it, but not when women do it. And also, the whole thing just feels like a rebranding of Freud's penis envy thing. And later, she also dredges up that tired, toxic trope of women playing men for their money. Yeah, like Simon's ex-wife. Simon was the one of the older brothers that we don't really see much in the book. Like, he pretty much just comes to the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, his ex-wife was a modern woman who got an abortion and was just in it for the money. And then the narrative punish it, punishes her for it by killing her in a car crash. And it blames her for the car crash, even though Simon was driving. Yeah, like, Simon stuffs his own wife in the fridge, and the book thinks it's her fault. Now, to be fair... Being in a relationship for the money is a, it's a little sus. Uh-huh. But it's just... Doesn't deserve death. And, you know, the narration is constantly making these little snipes at liberated women and sophisticated women. Whereas Dory's saintly dead father went on and on about how conventional, a.k.a. conservative, people are the bedrock of society. Now, he is a like a preacher in a small town in Texas. Uh-huh. There's only so much we can expect from him. That's fair. But overall, the, the book does kind of lead on that that thread of conservative women. Uh, only women who get married young and have lots of babies and do conventionally feminine things can be happy. Mm-hmm. Like, Abby is, you know, no older than 29, like we said, who has three kids already and is you know portrayed as blissfully happy whereas dory age 26 who has a career at a law firm in new york city which is not a little thing and definitely not a little thing in 1997 you know it's kind of the center of culture there 
is, you know, portrayed as miserable and hung up on an abusive ex from eight years ago. Yeah, it can't stop talking about how Dory has been pining over this asshole for years and years, despite showing us that she's frightened of him. And it never explains why she's hung up on him. It doesn't show us... Any charm. No charm at all. Yeah, and, you know, early in the book she imagines, you know, oh, I could have been married with babies with this guy. I wonder what life would have been like. Life would have been a living nightmare, Dory. It would have been fucking terrible. Yeah, she doesn't seem to realize how lucky she was to get out and have this successful career in New York. And she just comes back. Uh, The woman really, really wants you to know that it's a woman's job to reform a man and settle him down. Dory thinks, you know, Corrigan was hurt by his mommy, but you, sorry, she can fix him. No, this is this is a guy with a deeply twisted upbringing who came to his entirely twisted conclusions on his own. Moreover, the you-can-change-him trope? Not a good reason to stay with an abuser. If he has traits that are problematic in the beginning, he will still have most of them with three kids. Mm-hmm. If he hits the bottle a little too hard when you're dating, imagine... The stressors of having to support three children. Yeah, like if the book took Dory's fears of him at least a little bit seriously, it would have a very different tone. It would have the tone of a horror book. Yeah, honestly. I mean, even with it being painted as a romance novel, there were still several points where I was questioning, is this supposed to be horror? Like she's being falsely arrested and dragged back to... To this man that she's frightened of. Mm -hmm. Just because there's kisses and I love yous doesn't make it any less horrifying. Mm -hmm. And Dory's not taken seriously by anybody. Like, she's constantly portrayed as hysterical and unreasonable when she is well within her rights to be upset or angry. Yeah, especially none of the men take her seriously or treat her with respect. She's arrested on false charges. The heart's friend laughs at her, the Texas Ranger. You know, she's pissed off at being kidnapped. Corey laughs at her. And then, of course, the moment he kisses her, he's just so dreamy that she forgets all about the literal fucking kidnapping that just happened. It gives very little agency to her at all as a character. She doesn't make the decision to stay in Jacobsville herself. She doesn't approach Corrigan herself. She doesn't even get a say on whether she's getting married. The brothers put all of it together. <laughs> and she's just dragged through it like she's been brainwashed. And on that note, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, I mean, this is literally just the single businesswoman at Christmas comes back to her hick town to be shown the error of her ways story that we've all seen a thousand times. With about 200% more kidnappings. Yeah. I we just want to say if you like this book or books like it, you're not a bad person. We liked some of this. Yeah, we had fun laughing at the the most bizarre bits. Yeah, the the biscuit subplot that somehow drives the entire plot. It's it's okay to enjoy bad books. We just feel it's important to point out the bits that are problematic. Yeah, and For those of you who do like bad books, you know, maybe you can see some of these bits while you're reading your next one. And, you know, welcome, all all you lovers of bad books. We'd love to have a conversation with you. (laughs) Uh, Suggest your favorite bad books. Yes, we do take suggestions. In fact, we are going to give you a uh, short blurb for our next book that we're going to read, which is The Making of a Duchess by Shanna Galen. Uh, Amanda? Yes. Uh, Julian Harcourt, Duke de Valère, is more than willing to marry the lovely young lady his mother has chosen. Little does he know, she's been sent to prove him a spy and a traitor. Sarah Smith's mission is to find out whether the Duke's trip to the continent are as innocent as he claims. But the way he looks at her is far from innocent. Their risky game of cat and mouse propels them from the ballrooms of London to the prisons of Paris, and into a fragile love that may not survive their deceptions. So, yeah, look forward to that for next time. Hopefully it'll be better than this last one. 
Really low bar to clear, though. Yeah. If you'd like updates on what we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at the Honey Roasted, or you can join our official Discord. Thank you for listening to the Honey Roasted podcast, and we look forward to speaking with you next time. <laughs> no, that was bad. That was really bad. Bye. <laughs>